here I am going like, are you kidding me, God? Like, really, breast cancer? Like, I don't know how to handle this. And that's when I decided that, okay, this sucks, but I could turn this around. So I was like, I'm going to like turn my phone on and put videos on YouTube about what is the journey of having breast cancer and and, and then you know share with the world. And that saved me because I could have gone to a dark place where I've been in dark places because of illness before and I don't want to go there and I don't want to. I was like, I, I can't. I have I, like, I got all these kids and I got a good life. Like I have the best children. I have the best husband. I knew I had to make a choice to either be good or not. And I chose to be good. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 76 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Yulati Saludi is one of the strongest people you will ever meet. Over a 10-year period, she endured 27 abdominal surgeries for colorectal pain, trying to correctly diagnose the source. She suffered severe pain, infections, adhesions, constipation, unable to have regular bowel movements, finally resolved by clearing a large intestinal blockage of scar tissue on her 27th procedure. She could finally breathe normally and opted to keep her colostomy bag for life to mitigate against potential further infections. Then breast cancer came calling, and Yulati decided to share her journey with the world, blogging, posting photos and videos of the emotional roller coaster ride of the highs and lows of cancer, connecting and building out a powerful, supportive community that helped save her. Her husband Gerald is her rock and biggest supporter. Despite the scarring and PTSD from all of it, she's learned to look past her scars and poop bag, to see beyond convention, and love herself. Fast forward, and Yulati discovered running during the pandemic. Running on her one Peloton at first, with the Bex Beast Group, with Bex Gentry as the leader, finding yet another strong community that she could tap into. Progressing to the roads, where she won her first 5K, placed second in her first half marathon in the Atlantic City half marathon, running a 127.05, then running a 3.12 marathon in her debut down at Philly, smoking fast times, just truly incredible stuff. And as I'm typing this post for our pod drop, I just found out she won first place in the 3,000 meters at the Armory in New York City, running for her team, Bella in Motion, at the USATF Masters National Championship. Wow. In a word, amazing. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Yulati Saludi, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? Good. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's going to be so much fun to talk and get to know you better because uh, we just kind of met, you know, by happenstance. I know, you know, Aaron Genova, who was on my podcast uh, fairly recently, 
And you two are like Beck's Beasts and the whole Peloton cycling community. So I know you two know each other from there. And you know my good buddy, Janie John, you know, from your cancer, breast cancer, um, life history, you know, going through. Somehow the two of you know each other. Um, so it's going to be very fun to have a chance to get you on here today and tell your story. Hi. Yes. Thank you. I, yes. I actually don't know Janie personally. I just know of her, of her journey. And um, uh, I know Erin from, you know, like, the Peloton community, man, it's just, it took off and, and there is no, like people, you don't even know these people and they're so supportive. I mean, they are like way more supportive than people that I know personally. Um, and they always rooting for you. And she's one of those. And she's an inspiring story too. How she, how she did her sub 30 marathon. That was, I just blew my mind. She's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, you hit a couple of key points right there. That community is powerful, seriously powerful. Um, and I think the time in life when they really grew, uh, like exponentially with COVID, with so many people just being trapped and stuck and just frustrated and feeling like we're in Groundhog's Day, which by the way, is one of my favorite movies, except we've been living it for over two years now. And I kind of don't want to be in the movie anymore because I'm not, yeah. I'm not dating Andy McDowell, like Bill Murray. So it's not so cool for me. <laughs> it's just me and my dog over here. And it's really not that exciting. And I'm not learning French and how to paint and how to save kids falling out of trees and stuff like that. So like, we're just kind of figuring out what we're going to do. But Peloton for you and so many others became this massive way to connect with people in a time when most of us are literally like stuck in our houses, really kind of more or less afraid to go out until we got things figured out a little bit, right? So you had this ability to tap in to meet these people who basically are strangers and do some hard work together, do some grunt work together, sweat your asses off, and you come out of there and you all feel better. And then little by little, you're building actual relationships with these people. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the first things that I joined was like a half marathon Bexby's did uh, on the treadmill. And you're like, like doing a couple miles on the treadmill. Some people hate the treadmill, but like jumping into a, a half marathon on the treadmill. And I felt so supported. Like everybody just went, first of all, there was a big thing before it and then during it. And afterwards I felt like, oh my God, I'm part of a community. And I am so grateful for it uh, because actually when, it, when, when I first heard about Peloton, I was like, that's, that's stupid. Like who wants to, you know, who wants to work out at home all the time and <laughs> look at us now. <laughs> it, exactly. It doesn't seem to make any sense. Like if you think about it, because in, in truth, we want to be outside. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. know just from looking at your Instagram page and looking at your husband's page as well, you guys are really big into yoga and yoga practice and being, you know, connected with nature and all that, which is part of like a good yoga practice, man, you know, sure, you're going to do it inside sometimes. But some of the some of these great retreats in the world are at these amazing resorts and desert places where you can just kind of reconnect with the world and your body and your spirit. And you know, so much of that is like outside, right? I mean, more more so, right? It, yes, absolutely. And uh, in, in not even that it's like the energy of a yoga class in a yoga studio. It is amazing. And then when you try to do it at home by yourself, it's not the same. Like, I don't want to step on that mat. And even though, like, all through my, my yoga, because I was, that's how we started, we're yoga teachers. Um, well, like, I used to take a break from practicing at studios and, and take my, 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 my practice home for whatever reason, because it was easier when the kids were little. And I had such a hard time doing it. it so it's like, yes, you need the connection with other humans 
I, I was very used to that when I was, when I was uh, practicing mainly yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it just it kind of, it's the line in life where we are. Are you the kind of person who likes to be with others, right? And you have that kind of personality where you're magnetic. And when other people are around you, you have more energy and you have more power and you have more force and you just bring like all of it, it kind of comes to life. And when you're alone, not saying you can't be good at a workout or good at a run or a ride or anything else, but it's a different element altogether. When you got people in that room with you that are taking your class and it's a hard class or you're all spinning to a Beck's cycling class or actually she doesn't do the cycling, she's doing the running. Um, and she she killed her race, man, when she ran uh, in the yeah, Olympic trials, wow. man. She ran like two, what she did, did she run? Amazing. Like 230 or 232 or something. She like, yeah. she smoked in, it, in, man. Like for us, as you know, her beats, uh, like it was so inspiring to me. I'm like, if she can do that for the longest time, I took that. It was like my mantra. I'm like, if Bex could do these, if Bex could do these, I can do it. I, you know, like, so for like, she's our coach. So, because especially for during that time that we couldn't run with anybody. So it was such a huge inspiration to, to like have, have us, I have myself think back about the numbers she ran. I'm like, she ran like a 30 something mile. Like for 26 miles, that's weak. I can do these. I no problem. I fixed it. So it was a huge inspiration. She killed that marathon. Yeah. And you know, like that, all that energy, that positive energy that Peloton fosters, that community energy, it's not just the instructor and the people who like an instructor and maybe that are focusing and taking their classes, let's say regularly, the same way they might've done that for you with your yoga classes or your husband's, right? Like as you build this connection with people and they're like, no, I want to take her class or I want to take his class yeah, or I want to take that, yeah. you know, Beck's class. Like that's the way it works. And it's like, oh no, she's not here today. Oh no, I'm not, I don't want to do, I don't want to do this stuff now. Um, cause that's, that's kind of the way it works. Um, but you know, that, that positive energy, you guys all gave that to her, like no doubt that, influenced her own race like for her to put it all out there i guarantee you you know we can use mantras all day long and my my mantra in running and in life and for the show is stay in the fight and i i just think it just totally epitomizes everything about how i try to live like every day we get dealt all kinds of shit and we got to figure out can we go through it can we go under it over it, around it what are we going to do how do we do it and lord knows you are going to be the best person in the world to talk about a lot of this stuff after having so many health issues in your life and, and 27 surgeries. Like that's got to be a record for sure. Um, <laughs> but you know, like I think she, and also all of you, even Aaron talked about it in her run when she got her sub three at CIM, how much he thought about the classes that she was in with Beck's beast and you know, the community support and the high fives you would all give each other. And we all need more of that, man. We're all going to perform better when we're, when we got people like that, that we can rely upon. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I, I 100% agree with you, Ron. 100% agree. Cool. So for background purposes, um, how about you tell everybody where you grew up, what family life was like a little, cause I know you're from Columbia, but you know, where are you, what it was like growing up there as a kid? I know you weren't into sports much, but just, you know, what was family life like growing up there in Columbia? So I, I was born in 1979 and, um, Right around the time that I was growing up was also Pablo Escobar was very, you know, was was coming up. And um, so that was my childhood. Like, all I can remember. And, and like, it's so funny because Netflix did Narcos, right? And I watched the first two seasons because they're both 
in Colombia and it, they got it so perfectly. Like, I'm like, this is my childhood. It was like, it was very well made. The actors, they picked were great. It, it, it just brought back memories of how I, you know, how I, I, I grew up. So I grew up in that craziness in Medellin. I'm from Medellin. So I'm right from the, in the middle of, of like the whole crazy thing that Pablo Escobar went. And I grew up, I, would, I don't want to say very poor because I wasn't very poor, but I was poor. And, and I mean, I had a house and I had food every day. I'd never missed a meal. My parents did a great job doing that, but I didn't have money to play extracurricular sports, right? Like the sports that we had was play soccer in the streets with, with some friends, or I loved rollerblading. I, I lived up, up a hill. And I used to remember I was like maybe three or four years old rolling, blading up and down and never injured myself. Thank goodness. Um, so like, that's how I grew up. I never had the opportunity to, to, um, to play at sport an organized sport. Um, and I moved here when I was 13, which is right in 1993, when Pablo Escobar was the worst. Like that's my parents picked up in, in, in they're like, we don't want to live here. Everybody a friend of mine from school had gotten just killed um, right outside of our school. She got shot. The, um, the, I went to a, a Catholic school and the priest that ran the school got shot a few days earlier outside of our school. So in, in, in this was happening, like family members are getting killed. Well, one time somebody got in a, was on a public bus from school and I was in the bus and um, I was in the back of the bus, but in the front of the bus, uh, some guy just got in and shot somebody in the front, like in front of us. And so my parents were just tired of this. Like we can't raise our girls here. And they, they picked up and, and they, and they came here. And then we had a cousin that lived here. And uh, I don't know if you know New Jersey well, but we, <laughs> the, the town was called Matt. It's Madison, New Jersey. And it's a, a little bit of a um, Colombian population. They're very small. Um, but at least there was some Spanish people there. And I think we lived there for a month. And then my parents picked up and moved to a town next door. It was called Chatham, New Jersey. And I was back then, my sister and I were the only Spanish speaking people in that school. So it was, it was shocking because I went from, uh, like growing up in the streets, playing with all your friends and you, I li- I moved to these people, to this town where it's only white people. Nobody can speak my language. There's no kids that look like me. Um, nobody played outside. Everybody stayed inside. That was probably the, sh- the most shocking thing of my life. It, it, the, like the culture shock. It's like, nobody goes outside. Like you, you're home all the time, like all day, every day, like unless you go to school. So eventually, you know, that was, that was very, very, very hard for me. And then um, I hadn't, I didn't speak any English. Uh, English was not my best subject in Colombia. Um, even I remember my, my English teacher in Colombia said, uh, you'll never speak English. Like I was so bad at it. Like I was, I like to see her now. Like look at me now. <laughs> uh, and um, so it was, so I moved to this, to this town and being one of the few, maybe the only Spanish girl with my sister um, I had to learn how to speak English very quickly. Like, I think it was, I think we moved here in uh, August and by, by when we came back from school, you know, we had summer vacation and by the time we get back, got back, I would say by December, I was already speaking English because I, as you could tell, I can talk a lot and I needed to get, I can keep that stuff. I'm like, I need to learn this language so I can talk to people. And then that's, you know, that I, I moved to Chatham and, and again, was not you know my parents always 
they tried they worked really hard my mom my mom worked two jobs my dad worked two jobs and we didn't have the money to uh for us to play an organized sport my sister and I so you know we're always just go to school and come home and I was the oldest so I'd take care of my sister and then my mom got pregnant and then we'd take care of my brother so like I never really had the opportunity to play any uh organized sports and I look back and I, I, now that I, I don't think that if I did I've ever picked running <laughs> I would not pick running <laughs> so that would have been the last on your list um but wow, what an adventure. Um, now I'm going to have to watch Narcos myself. I haven't watched a, the series, but man, that's, um, you know, like, man, I love watching true crime and, and remakes of stuff and stories, but hey, that's real life violence. Like you're living in it and, you know, it's your priest, it's a teacher, somebody on a bus. That's, um, that's craziness. Um, but that's what was going on. And that kind of violence, sadly, is still going on in Ukraine and Russia and other parts of the world. And we can't seem to get it right. Um, it seems like there's always some conflict breaking out somewhere and it's sad, but you know, what a tough adjustment for you all as kids. Um, and I know, uh, Chatham and Madison. Well, I grew up in Maplewood, South Orange, so I went to Columbia high school. Oh. That's my Columbia, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. not, not your Columbia, <laughs> yeah. but you know, but it's so funny because when I grew up, cause I'm so much older than you, we played outside all the time. That's all we ever did. We were never home. If we, if we ever came back from the park under any circumstances, even if we we're like half bleeding out, my mom would just look at us like, what are you doing here? Like what, what, like, you know what a band-aids are? Go, go patch yourself off, go back to the park. And we're like, okay. We always joked around my brothers and like, what would it take for her to like be seriously worried? <laughs> like, like ah! you know, like we like to staple our heads up or something, you know, cause we like come back like gushing blood. She's like, ah, you're fine. Whatever. We're like, okay. But that's, you know, I wouldn't trade that, you know, growing up that style for anything, man, we're in the park all day. I mean, we came back after dark. I mean, my older brother was a year older than me and he was like in charge of watching me. I mean, he had no business watching me or himself, you know, but that's, that's the way we rolled, you know, back then. So, um, and talk about uh, being exposed to our language, man. That's one way to learn it, right? I guarantee you if you oh, yeah. sent me down to Colombia or I had to go live in France, you know, for a year, you know, it's one thing, but it's different. You're in school. You have no choice. That's the language. So you really are like forced into it. Um, but in a way, you know, it probably was the best thing for you because you certainly weren't going to learn English when you were down in Colombia, right? I mean, no, there was no way. <laughs> yeah. Why would you bother? Right. Yeah. And why would you bother? So, um, growing up, did you, did you have any like fun teachers or anybody that had an impact on you either in Colombia or here, you know, somebody who was like a mentor or somebody you looked up to or like had a big influence on you as a kid? In Colombia, I don't remember very many of the teachers in Colombia, but I do stand out. I have a like um, my, my tenth grade teacher. Her name is Miss Shore, and I still talk to her actually. Um, in uh, not as much, I don't talk to her as much as I, I I like to. But for a really long time after after high school, like we stayed very close, and we used to go out to dinner. But she was somebody that um, that like so so through right through me and right and like she knew that. I had more to give and I was full of shit sometimes. And, and there was a way that she did it that like, she didn't yell at me, but like made me feel in a way like, Oh God, I'm not trying hard enough. And, you know, and then and because of her, I read books and because of her, I did my homework. And, and then later on in life, like I told you, I stayed um, friends with her and um, I would call her for advice. And she, she would tell me, I don't give advice, but, but this is what I, 
think. And then like, she, I don't know if she has any idea how much she helped me because I still use all that stuff that like she gave me. And I, that's why, and, and not only her, like, you know, there's like other teachers from that high school, from Chatham, they're all from Chatham High School. Mrs. Frost, who's passed, Mrs. Dured, Mrs. Shore, like they were such a big influence um, because they saw, they saw like, I think back now, they saw like this, uh, this, 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 this Colombian girl who moves into a town where she doesn't like, she doesn't, I didn't feel like I belong. I never felt like I was part of, of any group of anything. And they took the time and to, you know, to, to make me feel comfortable, to make me, you know, to teach me, but went beyond teaching, right? Like, you know, they did a great job teaching, but it was the little things that they did you know, after school or I used to get a lot of, I used to get a lot of attention because I talked a lot and I didn't listen. And like, you know, they would go the, if I had to go to attention, they would go the extra mile and talk to me afterwards. or you know, set me down and like, this is how things work here because I wasn't used to, but yeah, Mr. Shore, gosh, I would never forget her. She's, she's one of my favorite people. Awesome. I mean, you know, the thing is teachers have that ability to have that kind of impact in our lives, like way, way, Look at, look at how many years have passed because, you know, there's so many kids out there in that classroom, or if it's even a common area, like a social group where they're getting together and they're a guidance counselor or something, there's so many kids out there that are just like lost or they're not connecting or they're not in any kind of a group. Or as you said, you, maybe you didn't have the money to play sports or you're just struggling to learn the language and try to assimilate and, you know, fit in. And, you know, hey, nobody looks like you. There's no other Latinos or people to hang out with where you might feel more comfortable. Like, hey, I can hang out with this person. It feels a little more comfortable for me. You don't have anything like that. So you're just trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. But you get a teacher or two who sees that, you know what? She's not trying hard enough. She's got way more in the tank. You know, I'm not going to let her off the hook. I'm going to find a way to challenge her a little bit. And the next thing you know, you're reading, you're, you're making more of an effort and, you know, calling them up for advice years later. So it's super cool. And I always get a kick out of that because, you know, man, this show's about running, but it's really not about running. It's really about life, man. It's really about, you know, the habits we form in our lives. And as runners, we tend to be really disciplined people. That's just the facts, man. We're people who will run at four in the morning or we'll run at four at night or we'll run in between shifts if we're doctors or we'll just do whatever it takes because we know we're going to be better humans after we get that hard exercise in. And if that's on a Peloton bike or running on a treadmill or it's outside or it's doing yoga or whatever the hell we're doing, we're going to be able to handle the tough things in life a whole lot better. And we're also going to be oh, yeah. happier people for the ones around us, our spouses, yeah. our dogs, <laughs> our siblings, our business partners, or whoever the hell else we're rolling with, man, because you don't want to be around me when I'm not running. I'm not a very happy guy. I mean, I got to get my miles in or it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just recently lost my dad and the universe was playing a trick on me because I just, um, I was dealing with IP band, um, syndrome. So I tried everything, but not stopping to run in the run. So <laughs> my husband's like, what's wrong with you? And then, you know, in the middle of the whole thing, um, my dad died and I could, I didn't even have like like I wanted to just go out there and, and like cry because it was sudden. He had, he died of an aneurysm that we didn't know he had. And, you know, and then I couldn't, I couldn't. So like, I, I was like, universe, what are you doing to me? Like, I can't, you took my dad and you took my running all at the same time. 
And um, I, I know because then I was like, all right, it was, I, it made it a little easier not to run, you know, but I was like, all right, this is a, a nice break, but I was not, I, I think I, I was not very nice to my husband and my kids for a couple of days because I couldn't run and I was in so much pain from losing my dad. So I get it. It's, it's, we're not very nice people. We don't get our runs in. Wow. I'm really sorry about your dad. Um, and it doesn't matter whether they're sick for a long time and we're expecting it or they're really old and they're close to a hundred years old. We don't ever want to say goodbye to our moms or dads or anybody we love. So it doesn't, there's no easy time for it to happen, but the truth is, um, there is just something very special about being able to just go and just disconnect from everything and just let the emotions, you know, run through you. And you know what? You, it doesn't have to be a run. You don't even know watch on for a run like that, man. You can just go and just, uh, you know, kind of let it pour out of you. And, uh, you know, you think about moments, um, that you've shared. And I think for the rest of your life, that will happen. Like I don't, we just met, you know, 20 minutes ago, but it will always be that way. I mean, there are always going to be some point on a run where you're going to think of your dad and you're going to think of th something you talked about or something you did together and, or a rainbow will come out or the sun will rise a certain way or a song will come on. And that's, that's life, man. And it's fleeting, unfortunately. And, you know, you've had to deal with a lot of this stuff yourself. So maybe it's a good time to kind of get into and transition into so many like health things that have, you know, hit you in your life for such a young person. Like, where did it all kind of start for you? Um, and, you know, maybe we could just kind of walk through it a little bit chronologically. All right. So I'll take you back. Like, uh, as a kid, I was actually a very healthy, very healthy child. Like, I, I never ever remember going to a hospital or anything like that. But I, I did at, at age nine, I started suffering from these stomach aches that would just, they were paralyzing. Like I just would sit there and like, why oh, this hurt so much. And there were some tests that we went to the doctors and they couldn't find anything. Um, then fast forward to 20, I was 20, maybe 21, 21 years old. And I was at, at this point of my life, I, I am a single mom. I, I, my daughter is just like one years old and I don't have a health insurance. I'm a waitress and um, these stomach aches just keep coming. And finally, I was like, I have to do something about it. So I took a taxi. I didn't even have a, a car. I took a taxi to the emergency room and I was like, something's going on. Like these stomach aches just keeps coming and going. And um, I went, they, they sent me for a CAT scan and they did some rectal, um, um, exams because the, during the rectal exam, the, the doctor could feel that there was something in my rectal area, but like really high up. So they sent me, they sent me for a CAT scan. They, they found it. They saw, it, and it was like a little, little cyst and it is at the top of the rectum and, um, just, you know, just FYI, my life rules about poop. So we're going to be talking a lot about poop. <laughs> so I, I, I go and, you know, they send me home and they're like, I, we want you to get a biopsy, get a biopsy here. It, it is like around October. I remember because my mom went with me for the biopsy and it was on her birthday and her birthday's in October. And so, so it was like a few days in October, here's go for this biopsy. So I go for the biopsy and I'll never forget the, la the lady that's doing the biopsy that's prepping me for the biopsy. They didn't even put me down. They didn't give me anything. She says, don't worry. This is done to men all the time and they don't need any anesthetic. And I'm like, okay, so, all right. I don't know what that means, but you got it. And 
the doctor went in, they came in, they went in, and he took like three, maybe four pieces of the biopsy of, of the of the cyst. And this is the rectal area. It is so painful. And mind you, I've had a child at this point with no drugs. I was 13 hours of giving labor. I pushed her out. It, no, absolutely no drugs. So like I've had that pain. This was pretty painful. And I'm sitting there going, wow, this is bad. It was quick. I went home. I woke up in the middle of the night shaking. Like uh, there was sweat pouring out of me and I'm shaking. And um, they didn't even give me any antibiotics or anything like that. They just said, just go home. And I woke up. They, they brought me to the hospital and I'm in so much pain. Uh, they have to give me morphine. First time in my life that I've ever had morphine. And I was like, wow, this actually works. But for like 15, 20 minutes. And then the pain is crazy. Well, they figure out that um, uh, that biopsy caused a huge infection. And the infection um, is what's causing the pain. So they're like, we got to go in tomorrow morning and um, drain your infection. This is going to be a surgery. So I'm like, all right. I went the next, I actually took three days. I was in the hospital three days. They did the surgery three days later. And they went in, they put me to sleep. I woke up, I had these tubes sticking out with the infection draining. They're like, go home. A week later, come back. We'll remove the tube, the most uncomfortable thing ever. And I went home and then this whole process went by and, and it was fun. And then a few weeks later, the, the, the tumor was back. The infection was back. And I was like, or oh, a few months later, it was back. And then we had to do this all over again, you know? So then I got probably a year of rest from that second surgery. And um, in that, during that year, I met my husband because in that rear break of like me not having any surgeries and, and no pain. So I met my husband and it was like love at first sight, at least for me, it was. And for him, it wasn't. But for me, it was, I was like, I love this guy. I'm going to marry him, blah, blah, blah. And then we get together and shortly, and then shortly after that, he's like, I want to marry you. And I'm like, all right. And everybody just kept thinking that I was pregnant. I'm like, I'm not pregnant. But, but everybody's like, why are you getting married so quick? I'm like, I have no idea. And he, he's just wanted to me. I, I loved him from the moment I met him. So it's like, I, of course I want to marry him. And I, we got married. Um, he puts me in his health insurance plan. And a week later, this pain comes back. And now, now I have good health insurance. So I get to go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, um, I'm in some Barnabas Hospital in New Jersey, and um, I remember my doctor called in. They called in. He came in his golf stuff because it was a Sunday, so he was like, came in to see what was going on. And he like looked up, which was that was like right there was another surgery because they, they had to put me down to look look up the rectal area. And he's like, "Listen, there's something going on up there. There's nothing I can do. Um, maybe like." you have to go see a specialist. I, it, it's in a very, it's a very tough area. Um, and, um, if I remove it, I might, you know, like cut the muscles around and she might not be able to ever go to the bathroom. Right. Blah, blah. So we're like, Oh no, forget it. So we go went for a second opinion and a third opinion and a fourth opinion. Now, every time that I went for a second, a third, a fourth opinion was a surgery because they had to put me to sleep and, you know, give me, you know, a sedate me and everything. So this is how the surgeries start to add up because I'm like, and all these doctors kept coming. I have no idea. We don't know. We, we don't know what it is. And they're like, 
you know, go back, going back, what happened? I'm like, it was just a biopsy, like a biopsy. And all the doctors would tell me, they should have never biopsied that up there. And I'm like, yeah, well, you should have told that to the first doctor that biopsied it. And um, finally, um, you know, to make this really long story short, I, I, I was referred to a, a doctor in Minnesota at the, um, at the Cleveland, I mean, at the Mayo Clinic. And I called him and I said, I gave him like, this is months and months now I'm in like, like this is almost nine months of me suffering with this and having all the surgeries. And I, I gave him my story and I was like, you need to help me. I'm in so much pain. I'm in constant pain. There's just so much pain. I, I, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I lost weight. I was nasty to, to my, my husband and my kid. And um, my husband has three kids from his last marriage. So we're a blended family. So, and I just remember being around everybody and being so miserable because when you're in pain, you can't think of anything else, but like the pain that you're in. And um, the Minnesota doctor was very, he's like, listen, I can make you come here. He had like a Southern accent. I can make you come here, which I'm not going to try to do. But, you know, all the way from New Jersey to Minnesota, but I know a really good guy in Philly um, and, you know, you should go see him. He knows exactly, he'll know exactly. He's really good. He's maybe even better than me. He gave me the name. Next day I, I called Philly and I made an appointment with him and I, I, I came in and he's like, oh yeah, I, I like, I know, I know, I know what to do. I know I could do, I know exactly what you have. I could help you. And this is like the first doctor that has ever told me like, yes, now I'm like five surgeries in. Yes. So I'm like, oh, I love you. Thank you so much. You're going to take my pain away. But he said, first, I need you to get an, uh, an, uh, colostomy. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> you know, I was 20 at this point, I was 24 years old. I, I was, I don't know idea what a colostomy bag was. And, you know, he explained to me and I was like, oh, so you telling me that I have to poop in a bag? He goes, yeah, yeah but only for six weeks. Well, we figure out what's wrong. We'll remove the problem. And then, you know, we'll reverse you afterwards. So I found a doctor closer to me because um, it it's a very simple procedure. And um, we, I had already worked with a few other doctors. So I was like, I picked this doctor who was a woman and, and she gave me my first, my first colostomy bag. And this is back in 2004. And he, she, you know, I healed from that. And then I went and I got my surgery to remove that mass. So to, to see what was going on after that, you know, they tried to get biopsy that mass. Um, and the doctor um, went in, it was supposed to be like a 30, 40 minute surgery. And uh, 30, almost four hours later, he comes out. This is my, 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 my husband tells me because my husband has been uh, there the whole time with my mother-in-law. And he says that he came out and said that I had the worst, uh, the worst infection that he's ever seen. He, and he said to my husband, like, I don't understand how your wife lived with this much pain because that biopsy, what it is, the infection that they keep draining, it just never really went away. It just grew into my peritoneal cavity, my ovaries, everything was covered with an infection. And the doctor had to sit there and like scrape it off by hand, the whole thing. So that went well, he took that off, he took all that, all that out and fixed the issue. I woke up and there was no more pain, which is after nine months of pain, this was, I mean, it was a hallelujah. Thank you, God. Um, then um, he's like, now next is he's, we're going to remove my ostomy. That, uh, that's, that's the next step. And I was so happy. I was like, yes, finally, I get to poop again out of my butt. Yay. No 24-year-old wants to poop in a bag. Um, and 
I go in for a test where they want to make sure that all the, all the tissue has healed correctly. So they notice that the, the, when they do one of the tests, they put air in through the vagina or through the rectal area and make sure that it doesn't come out of the vagina. Well, for me, it did. It went up the rectal area and it came out of the vagina, which this means there's a hole somewhere in there. So they can't remove my bag. So now I have to have this colostomy bag for um, as long as, as, as this, they figure out what this hole is. You know, it's called a fistula. And then they do this, they, they found the fistula um, and they, they're like, okay, this is a simple surgery. We're just going to go ahead and patch it up and you'll be just fine. And I'm like, all right, no problem. Yeah, let's do it. I know the surgery. Okay, we go through that surgery. It doesn't work. Six weeks later, they I am for the same test. It doesn't. And then um, he says, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Let me digress a little bit. After that surgery, um, he fixed it. He goes to fix it up. He says, go home. Everything is fine. Don't worry. And I'm like, all right, I'll see you in six weeks. I go home that weekend. I wake up at four in the morning, bleeding. I mean, there's so much blood all over my bed. Um, and I'm my husband is a great husband but not in the middle of the night. You can't wake him up. Like it could be a fire. It, you can't wake him up. And so I, I'm trying to wake him up. I'm like, babe, something's really wrong. And he's like, call my mom. He always tells me, call my mom. <laughs> and, and I'm like, your mom can't help. She lives in Spring Lake. We are in, in Summit. This is not working. Yeah. And, and so he's like, so I, 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 I call 911. 911 comes and they bring me to the hospital. And, um, when I get to the hospital, my husband, before every surgery that I go in, he tells me, if you die on me, you know, because it's always a risk before a surgery that you may die. He says, I'm going to be so mad at you. He always tells me that. So I get to the hospital and they're working they're trying to figure out what's going on with me. And I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. It's just they can't stop bleeding. And I remember just passing out. Like first I lost hearing. I couldn't hear. And I was like, oh, something's going on. Then I couldn't see it. And then I passed out. And like the first, the last thing that I thought of to myself was like, oh no, I'm going to die. And he's going to be so mad at me. That was the last thing I thought. And I ended up losing four pints of blood. And uh, the doctor, I was tiny too. Like I was going through so much. I was like 98 pounds at the time because I kept having these surgeries. And so the doctor's like, you lost more than half of your blood. And um, so I was in the ICU for a few days. I turned yellow because of all the, um, the blood I lost. Um, but I made it out of that. And that's how I met my current doctor who, um, he, you know, he said an artery had burst, um, after the surgery, like it didn't happen right away. It probably was mixed during the time, like something, and then it burst in the middle of the night. And, um, I met my, my, my current doctor there and he's like, don't worry, we'll fix you up. I could remove the ostomy for you. I could close that fistula for you. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Well, fast forward to four surgeries, two kids in between surgeries later, it didn't happen. This fistula just lived in me. It didn't want to get, it just a, a disappointment after disappointment. Like surgery, nope, it didn't work. Then I got pregnant with my first, with my second child and my, with my husband and I. And then another surgery and it didn't work. And then I got pregnant again, so I could go and live my life and have the baby and everything. So I ended up with that first colostomy bag for four years when they told me six weeks. And I, I got very depressed and it was, you know, it was, it was hard. It, it, having a colostomy bag was actually like having another child, you know, like, so I had all these babies and on top of that, I had to 
you know, care for my bag. And um, all these major surgeries just left me like one of them, they removed my gracilis. One of the surgeries, they removed my gracilis and they reconstructed my rectal area and my vagina area just to, so, so they closed that fistula. And it didn't work because the muscle pulled. So they then just went in for another surgery to remove the muscle and and um, and just completely get it out of there. So needless to say, I, I, I run around with no gracilis. <laughs> um, uh, and and um, so you know, so fast forward to 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 the you know the last surgery. Finally, in two thousand and nine, in two thousand eight, I have I have my I think it's like my eighteenth surgery, and they they removed my ostomy. You know, the, the I mean, they, they closed the fistula. They everything is fine. The they, the doctor finally, this doctor who tried like three four more times, is like, okay, what we're gonna do this this last surgery is we're gonna we're going to bring your rectum down, cut the problem out and reconstruct all that area. So all my rectal area has been reconstructed. Um, and then you're like, and then we'll, re- we'll, we'll reverse your ostomy and, you know, you'll be back to normal life. So I'm like, all right, got it. So I went did that surgery, came back, got my ostomy reversed. I thought life was going to be perfect. And it just, you know, I, I was left with um, chronic constipation from um i guess the many years of having an ostomy like your colon is a lazy muscle to begin with and then you mess with it and then it's just you know it's, it never went back to normal and um after the after the the I, I struggled with you know with um chronic constipation for six years um and during those six years i had i found out that i had breast cancer completely unrelated, nothing to do with no family history. I mean, I like pioneer over here. So I'm dealing with the world's worst chronic constipation. And when I'm telling you chronic constipation is like, I would go, if I didn't do a colonic, a high colonic, I would not go. So if I couldn't get a colonic for two weeks, I would just not go for two weeks. And that's not healthy. And I think part of it, the reason that like that, I think that's, I don't know, I might be wrong, but I think that caused my cancer, like holding to all those toxins for days and days and days, because I couldn't go, um, ended up, you know, with breast cancer. So here I am going, like, are you kidding me, God? Like, really breast cancer? Like, I don't know how to handle this. And that's when I decided that, okay, this sucks, but I could turn this around. Like I Googled double mastectomy. This is in 2012. And I couldn't see, like, I would only see the pictures of like double mastectomy. There was like no real face. So I was like, I'm going to like turn my phone on and put videos on YouTube about what is the journey of having breast cancer and, and, um, and, and then, you know, share with the world. And that saved me because I could have gone to a dark place where I've been in dark places because of illness before and I don't want to go there and I don't want to I was like I I can't I have like I got all these kids and I got a good life like I have the best children I have the best husband I have the perfect life besides my health (laughs) but I like I'm really grateful to God for the good things he's given me um so I started you know putting my life out on YouTube and um blogs and like noticed it and they're like you want to share your story with me and then I started like vlogging for 
elephant journal and like I was in heaven composed and like all these just because I wanted to like I was being selfish like I just wanted like not to go to the dark place and at the same time also help others because we're not alone and till this day I get messages from people like thank you your videos really showed me you know what was coming and and um helped me in a really dark place and yeah like this is this is where where I I knew I had to make a choice to either either you know be good or not and I chose to be good I know I keep rambling it's a long story it's it is a long story and you're not rambling um it's remarkable to have to go through so many surgeries to try to you know get that first piece actually figured out and reconstructions and thinking you're only going to have the bag for you know, a couple of months or something and it's years. And then you, you end up having two more kids and just so many different opinions and infections. And it's amazing. It's um, the stress levels in our lives can all point to cancer, can all cause cancer. Um, you know, your cortisol levels being like through the roof and your hormone levels are just completely fucking whack. There's no way if that stuff was being looked at regularly, I wouldn't even want to know what any of those numbers were because man, look, you can't go to the bathroom on top of everything else and you're in pain and, you know, you're waking up and you're bleeding in the middle of the night. I mean, there's enough, like, there's just simply no way, you know, you can like center yourself and, you know, get to a point where, okay, I'm on some sort of level. I understand what's going on because it, it just keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. Nothing's actually happening. Nothing's actually trending like, okay, this is going to fix this. This is going to work. And then, you know, when you get breast cancer out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, but realistically, I guarantee you, it's just what you said. Um, and I'm sure that there's probably some some way to validate that. But um, no, it's not being selfish at all, by the way. Um, so sharing that journey, opening yourself up, you know, like kind of, we talked about it with Janie on Janie's episode, like Lifeboat and talking about Lifeboats and, you know, how like that whole cancer community is like a world unto itself, you know, from the people that are either giving chemo and giving treatments, um, you know, the nurses that run those particular areas, support groups. I mean, there's just this whole like army, let's say, of not only practitioners, but people that have been through it like yourself. Um, and then, you know, like at some point, there's this just massive inertia to want to share because look, man, somebody can go and go through multiple rounds of chemo and not ever get sick. Just like a woman can go through a pregnancy cycle and never have morning sickness and other ones are throwing their guts up and never, you know, can't sleep and they're having really difficult time carrying children. Other ones can put out three or four babies and they don't have any of those things happen to them. So no one knows what any of these experiences are going to be like, but by you opening yourself up and sharing like the parts that most people won't share, you know, what does it actually look like? You know, the scars, the pain, you know, what you're going through, it breaks some of those barriers and fear down for other people that haven't actually started in the process. They've just been diagnosed and they have no idea what's in front of them. So for, for them to be able to read, you know, on your blog or see pictures and, and talk about it or even reach out to you and message with you about what's going on, there's like real power in there. So, um, you know, that's awesome, man. Great job. Like, it's unbelievable that you, uh, you took that step. And not only were you thinking of trying to help others, but every time you're having a connection and a dialogue with somebody, it obviously is starting to help you, 
right? You're starting to feel more like yourself again, right? As you're kind of going through this journey. Yes. I, 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 my husband and I have this thing that we say, if we're thinking about others, we're not thinking about ourselves. And then that's like the key to happiness right there. Cause if you're like, I'm telling you, if you're just spreading kindness and thinking about how to help others, you're not so wrapped up in the me, 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 me. And that's where the problems start. Um, and I, I had a huge, uh, um, in that after I got my ostomy reverse, my first ostomy reverse, I, um, I found yoga and there was a powerful connection there for me because, um, like I coming from a background of never doing that organized sports or like anything like that, yoga was it for me. Like, I don't know if you want to call it a, a, a sport, but like, that was it. Like I found no matter how uncomfortable I was with not pooping, I always felt like if I stepped on that mat, right. I could ignore it for the next hour and I could just do like my practice and sweat. Hot yoga was the only thing available to me when I first started. So I was like, I just can get on that on mat and sweat and, and just, and start, you know, and I, I'll handle anything else later on as long as I, I, you know, I have this, this, this part of me and the, the yoga community for me was great. Um, and it was a key part of surviving and thriving during cancer and after cancer, because they all came together for me, my, my locals, I used to teach in a bunch of studios in the Chatham area. They all came so together for me and they, you know, meals and uh, play dates and, uh, you know, I, I'll teach you class and, you know, like, or oh, let me teach you class and like, here's the money for the class. It, it, it was donations. It was, it was an amazing, amazing uh, time of my life. I actually, it, it, people sometimes find it weird that I say this, but it's like, I, the time that I went through, uh, through my, my cancer journey, I like, I loved it so much because not, yeah, it sucked. I had cancer, you know, for a while there, you, you don't know what kind of cancer or anything. So you think you're going to die, you know, then you find out you're like, Oh no, I'm not going to die. It's just going to be a shitty year. And, but like it, all that bad stuff, I met so many great people. Like I'm still friends with so many people that I met through that journey. Um, some people that I met that made a huge impact in my life that didn't make it, but they will live here in my heart for the rest of my life. So yes, um, it, it's weird. It, it, it's weird to say I love that part of my life and I love that journey because um, I, I just it, I learned so much from it. And the, you know the great people that you meet. The, it, I just, I, I choose to look at it that way, you know? It's a wonderful way to look at it um, and to look back and to tap into, you know, what those feelings are and those emotions because they're powerful. I mean, when other people that more or less are strangers or, you know, barely friends, you know, they're certainly like not your real true friends, but they became your friends. They became like people that you could depend on and rely on who you weren't even like saying, hey, I need help. Can somebody watch my kid or can somebody just, no, you weren't even asking. And yet they came in and they supported you at a time that you needed it the most. And um, when we go through experiences like that, we're changed um, and we want to help other people more. So you were already journaling and doing your blog and doing that experience, which was a, very much a give back because it's centered around not only sharing what you're going through, but it helps other people. If it helps one person, and you know it didn't help one. It helps a lot more than one one person. Um, that's the good. That's the that's the good. Because the moral of the story is, man, 
there's dark days ahead, man. It isn't pretty. No one wants to go through those treatments. No one wants to get sick. No one wants to lose their hair. Nobody wants to be thrown up. Nobody wants to be going through any of those things. But you know what? If you have the people that make it out the other side, and one of the things I talked about with Janie is some of the people that she got closest with didn't make it. So that is a part of it. You don't know. Yeah. We don't have any guarantees. And your husband saying, I'll be pissed at you if you die yeah. is the fucking best ever because that sounds like something I might say, like, don't you fucking dare die, man. Don't leave me here by myself, man. Don't you fucking... Oh my God. Yeah. That's exactly what he's thinking. He's yeah. like, don't do this to me, Lottie. Yeah. We're in this together. Yeah, exactly. We're a team. So don't be getting yeah. any ideas about leaving, leaving my ass over here. Oh man. But, um, so, so much, you know, so much ridiculous ups and downs and so much yeah. years, years and years and years of being on a roller coaster ride of not just being able to feel like I can go to sleep. I'm healthy. Yeah. I feel good. I, you know, Nope, I didn't have that. And then like it, at one point people be like, oh my God, you're so inspiring. And I'm like, I don't want to be inspiring. I just want, I just want to have no pain and no discomfort. And I just want, you know, and then what I've learned from this journey of mine is it's like, it's like, you're not special. It, it, you know, it happens to you and it could happen again. And you know what? Be prepared to live, like live your life in the present moment and enjoy the present moment and enjoy you before, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like, after all that, you know, that I've been through, I, you know, I, I, I wanted just to have like a, a nice, easy, quiet life. And, and I didn't. I mean, I, I think you've only got worse after cancer. <laughs> and then, I, I, you know, and I was not prepared for it. I was not prepared for it because I thought like, you know, I was naive and I'm like, oh, no, I've been through so much. Everything's just going to get easier now. And it doesn't. And you just have to, you know, like, get up and you know be ready for it stay in the game like you say just stay in the game like that's 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 me too like i gotta stay in the game because you know a few after cancer things only started going you know downhill for me i think i had a good year um and i went back to practicing yoga and my yoga practice got so strong and i was like i, I was so happy you know i was like i really and then i i started to know i started to notice that like my constipation got even worse and the colonics that I got once, twice a week, I used to drive into the city to get my, the colonics, um, they stopped working. And I was like, Oh my God, if this stopped working, like, this is not good. I need to, I need to figure it out. I need to, uh, I need to, um, know what's coming. And, um, then I started getting these horrible, horrible pains in my stomach, um, where they would send me to the hospital and, I would be constant. I would be blocked and they would send me to the hospital for days at a time. And it wouldn't, the, the doctors were like, we don't know what's wrong for, for this. So this started in 2014 and all the 2014, I could go in and out, in and out, in and out of the hospital. Um, the only thing that worked for the pain was um, IV diluted and IV um, Valium. Um, and sometimes one dose would do it sometimes two. And then when you get to know your body this well, right, you, you, you go into the journey, it's happening every week, every two weeks, you're in the hospital and you walk into a hospital and you, you, you know, what works and you voice it to a doctor and it's a doctor that doesn't know you. They're like, Oh, you're drug seeking. So it's like, no, I'm not drug seeking. Look at my, look at, you know, my history. I just know what's going on. Nobody can figure out what it is. And this is what works for me. And I know that, you know, sometimes I spent uh, five, six, seven days in the hospital in this pain. Sometimes it was just an hour, two hours. 
And these went on all of a sudden 14 and I went to see my doctor finally. And he's like, I think this is it. I don't think I can help you anymore. I think, you know, we've done all these tests. We don't know what's wrong. And I think you need to go through a colostomy bag again. And I was like, are you serious? I just went through all the surgeries because I wanted all that bag. And now my solution is an ostomy again. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, fine. I got it. I, I'm so miserable. I with this pain and not going to the bathroom. I'll take it. You know, I thought that was going to solve my problem. Like my pain is going to go. I'm going to poop every day. Normal, even if it's in a bag, that's okay. Now I'm thankful that I could just poop. I don't care. And um, I, I, I go to the surgery and the surgery was an easy surgery, but I'm in the hospital for a few days. I come home again, the pain. I mean, I was in the hospital. I was out of the hospital for a day and a half and the pain came back and it started again from 2016, 2017, 2016, 2017, and then 2018. This is just constant. I was in the hospital a couple times a week. I would, um, I used to drive all the way to Morristown. I now live at the Jersey Shore. I used to drive all the way to Morristown at first, but the pain would get so bad that I would pass out from the pain. So we decided we were going to start coming down, down the, the hospitals close to us. And that's where the, the, the doctor in at Jersey Shore, like, accused me of being drug seeking. And then I'm like, I'm never going to the hospital again. And then I went to my really small local hospital and I got to know a doctor there. And for like, I think the past, the last year of this whole journey, he, um, he, he wouldn't know, I would come in. They wouldn't even give me CAT scans anymore because they're like, we have to give you a CAT scan before. But now like, we know, like, we know you're, you know, you're in, in, in trouble, you know, um, they, they were, they, at some point, uh, we figure out that it could be adhesions from all the surgeries that I've had from cutting my, you know, open C-sections, all of them. Um, the, uh, uh, your body just makes scar tissue to heal. And some people's scar tissue are stronger or like make more than others. And I happen to have a lot. And my stomach is really, really hard. And um, I had, uh, uh, the, um, we had the idea that maybe these adhesions were causing blockages, but they can never be found in any scan. And finally, um, after 2019, I was up in North Jersey and, um, I was at a doctor's with my, uh, a doctor's visit with my, my youngest son. And I got sick in the doctor's office and it was a long test that he had to do and I couldn't take it. And I was so sad because I had Hamilton tickets for the day after and I was so excited to see Hamilton. I'm a huge Hamilton fan. And I ended up going to the hospital. Um, uh, my doctor that I see up there was on vacation because it's summertime. So his partner ended up seeing me younger, never seen my, my chart, nothing, just new eyes. And he found the problem. In the CAT scan, he says, I think this is an issue here. I think you blocked up and I think something is wrapped up in your intestine. And I was like, finally, somebody sees that something there is wrong in there. So now, because I've had now at this point, this was my 20, this was my 20, I've had 26 surgeries. They, they don't really want to cut me open anymore. They're like, let's just let it pass. Let's see if it passes. They give me an NG tube, which is the worst thing ever. It goes up your nose, down your mouth, and it empties your con- the contents of your stomach constantly because you, you know, you're blocked up. So you can't, can't come out. So it has to come out this way. And it was really painful because sometimes it like hits a nerve behind your nose and it like gives you the worst headache. And I had that. 
Um, so I ended up being in the hospital for nine days. And finally, this doctor is like, I'm not waiting any longer. This is, you're not getting a block. Let's, let's, let's do the surgery. And I was really actually afraid for the surgery. I don't know why. I never get afraid before surgery, but I guess because I was beaten down so badly. Like I'm in the hospital already eight days and I have a feeding tube in. I could tell I'm losing weight because I haven't eaten in nine days. Um, I, I, I missed Hamilton. Come on. Like I was in a bad place. I, you, you know, I was like, I was actually afraid for the surgery. And I was like, I remember telling myself like, oh, but I don't wake up. I don't wake up. That's what, what can you do? And I, I went into surgery and my husband tells me the doctor comes out like 30 minutes later. My surgery has never take 30 minutes. He was smiling. Like the doctor's like, I fixed it. Turns out that probably for a really long time, I've had an adhesion grew into my intestine. So it like, like, you know, your intestines, your small intestine goes like this. It like grew and it took an intestine and like went around it, like wrapped around it, not once. And then again, so I had a huge blockage on my right side where I always, I always say that the, that's where the pain started. Just couldn't be seen because adhesions don't show up in scans. Only show up if you like, if you're blocked up like I was, or like if they open you up. So he fixed me up and I, I was, this is in 2018, this is Labor Day, 2018. And I, I hadn't had any pain since. And it, it's for, I had PTSD for a while. Yeah, I know. I had PTSD for a while because I kept thinking it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And knock on wood, uh, you know, here we are in 2022 and I haven't had any pain. And, you know, I'm so thankful to this guy because he fixed me. He fixed me. Oh my God. That's awesome. I get chills because I was like praying this has to have some kind of a good ending somewhere after all you've been through. <laughs> um, but you know what? There's there, Everything is all connected, man. And, you know, like when there's a blockage somewhere, anywhere, you know, from the food coming down <laughs> into your intestines, it's not going to get down to the other side. It all makes sense of why you're having pain and you're saying pain on the right side specifically and, you know, constipation and you couldn't even go to the bathroom without colonics. So like, God, it, it was lucky that you ended up at that doctor, you know, like yeah. serious luck. Yeah. Totally sucked that you missed Hamilton, but, um, yeah. you know, you could always go see Hamilton again for sure. But, uh, man, <laughs> you know, and then you, you said the surgery was only 30 minutes. So you figured, you know, what the hell's going on here? But, uh, you could tell, you could tell right away from his face and your husband's face. Right. So man, oh, yeah. what a friggin' crazy journey, man. That's like bananas, like unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so now you're okay now in that department. Everything is okay. I'm, I'm okay in that department. I still have my ostomy. And actually, uh, um, I still don't go to the bathroom quite well. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a process. Like, I have to eat a certain way. And I, and, um, I take medicine for it, too. But at least, you know, it, it's manageable. I am in constant discomfort. I'm always uncomfortable all the time because I have other adhesions in other parts of my stomach area that are not fully blocking me. And um, they cost me, you know, in the like pressure and nerves and stuff like that. So I'm constantly this, uh, uncomfortable, but no pain. And I could live like that. It's fine. I, I'm used to these. I, I learned to live with this discomfort. I'm fine. And the doctor actually told me, he's like, do you want to reverse your ostomy now that, you know, we, we figure out the problem is. And I was like, nope, I don't want to mess with what's working right now. And I'm totally fine with just having 
this ostomy for the rest of my life. I'm actually very thankful to it <laughs> for it. I don't blame you because it'd be, yeah, I feel like it's so much risk to go back there again. And then maybe the whole thing starts all over again and you have risk of infections and all these other things. And that's what people don't realize. Like, you know, you can get an infection from the most basic surgery in the hospital. And, you know, so you've been through, you know, for Christ's sakes, almost 30 surgeries. So I don't blame you. Um, and just, you know, figuring out the best way to manage it. And, you know, God bless, man. It takes a lot to uh, endure that kind of crazy, crazy ride, man, for sure. And, um, you know, so I want to know at what point does running come in to help you manage <laughs> some of like these highs and lows, the roller coaster ride, and, you know, maybe just help you even managing stress, you know, the feeling we get yeah. when we get out there running. Like, how does how does that come into the picture? I I started doing, I bought my, for my 40th birthday, I said to my husband, I want a Peloton bike. And so uh, this is in 2019, he, I, get, I, I got my Peloton bike. And I didn't, I, I sat on the couch for the whole year, 18 to 19. I was like, I was, I, I'm telling you, PTSD, waiting for this to come back. Finally, in 2019, I'm like, okay, this is not like late plans. I'm like, this is not coming back. I have to start, start, you know, doing something. Now, I hadn't practiced yoga very much because yoga actually has been hurting me. Um, a lot of the movements in yoga, this is personal to me, um, make me tighter in my chest, in my belly. So I, I, my upper body has to re remain soft so things could move. So, I, so I'm like, I can't do yoga. I had to do something with cardio. So I started jumping rope at home just to get my heart rate going because I hadn't worked out for years. And then I get the bike and one, you know, I did, I did the bike for a year and I think I just, you know, like developed my lung capacity. And then one day this, this, uh, this little boy is my youngest son, son age kept running around my house. And like every day he would do a few laps around my neighborhood. And I was like, so inspired by him and my, my son and my, my husband and I actually named him Frank. We didn't know his name. He was new to the neighborhood. So Frank would just run around and I would sit to my husband. I'm impressed. Husband, my husband would be like, Oh, there's Frank. Frank goes around. There it is. He's coming around. And then finally, I, one day I was like, I'm going to go for a run. And I got, I went to the local running store. I got a pair of shoes because I wanted to do it the right way. And I, I went for, I think, a 20 minute, like, a Peloton run in my ear, like telling me what to do for like a beginner run, which is like a walk run. And I loved it. It was so good. My husband went with me. We went together and like, I was, I couldn't, like, he couldn't keep up with me. He's like, slow down. You're going to, you know, slow down. You're going to hurt yourself. And I fell in love and I was like, oh, I can't wait to do that again. And, you know, he, my husband was like, I'm not doing it. You go by yourself. So I, I started going. I didn't have a watch. I didn't have anything. I just would go for runs. And um, then my husband started paying attention and he's like, I don't know. There was just something it tapped into. I tapped into something like, like I said, I'm always in constant discomfort, always 24 seven. Something is always uncomfortable in me. And I'm used to that. Now this is a different discomfort. Like I like it. It's a discomfort that I'm making and I could walk through it and, and like, I could walk myself through it. And like, I, I just enjoyed it. Like you, you get it. You, you, you're a runner. And I was just hooked. And, my husband started to, um, you know, I would go for a run and then he'd come back and he's like, wow, how many miles did you do? And I'd be like, oh, five. And it's like, wow, that was fast. And then I'm like, okay, I just, I didn't pay, I didn't know anything about it. I would just would go out and then come back. 
And then he had, a, he's a biker, my husband. So he had a Garmin and he's like, I want you for your, you know, my next, your next run. I want you to um, pick my watch with you. And like, this is like maybe two, three weeks into my running. And I came back and he's like, mm, you, you're running like eight minute miles and 750 and 745. And you've been running for three weeks. Like there's something really going on here. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just, I just want to go running. And then I kept getting faster and faster. And, and he's like, we're on something here. I think you're fast. Let's talk to somebody that knows about running. And then we had a friend who um, uh, is a yoga, a, a yoga friend. He used to be, now I find out he used to coach a huge, uh, he was a huge coach in high school. Um, his teams will always win. And he gave me like a running plan, like on Mondays do these. Like you have to do a negative split run and then you have to do a tempo run. And then I would do them. And then he, I was sending the numbers and he's like, wow, like you must be good at this. And I'm like, I don't know, just give me more, give me more. I want I do want to keep going. And then he gave me mild repeats. And I remember like, this is the first three months I did mild repeats. And I think my first mile, like I did it like a 640. And then he's like, okay, okay. You're, you, you, you obviously have a God, a God given talent. Like, this is not me doing, this is just something I was born with. Um, and then that's how I just, I just, you know, I just started to run. I, I got myself a, 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 an online coach, but just a gate coach because I wanted, I'm a yoga, being a yoga teacher, I really into form. So I wanted to have the correct form. I'm 40 years old. This is at this point. I, you know, I, I'm 41 actually when I started running and, and I don't want to hurt myself. So I wanted somebody to teach me the correct way to do it. So then I, you know, I got a runner X, the, the teach post method running. And I think it like really resonated with me because I, it's how I move, you know, I line the four foot of my foot. And then, so I started doing that and never really like look back after that. Like now everybody's like, oh, now you just got to start entering races. <laughs> that is the coolest intro. Um, and you know what? You met your husband and you knew you loved him. So you found running and you knew you loved running. So I love yeah. it. Man, you're very <laughs> decisive and that's the way it should be, man. You don't need you don't need a hundred attempts at something to figure out if you like it or love it. And you know, it's super cool. I mean, you didn't even know what you're doing. You're just getting outside. And um, you know, it's interesting when you talked about the discomfort because yeah, you've been in discomfort for like since your twenties, you know, with all of these different pains and feelings and adhesions and discomfort everywhere. Um, so you're used to it, but this is a different kind and it's a good kind. I mean, we, we willingly go out the door and beat the hell out <laughs> of ourselves. We willingly go out and run marathons or in my case, ultra marathons yeah. or other stuff, because look, man, we just want to see how far we can go. We want to see what that's going to feel like when we go further than we ever have gone before, or we've gone faster than we ever have before. And all of these different feelings evoke such different responses from us that there's no way we can know how we're going to feel until we actually do it. And, you know, the, he gives you mile repeats and you're doing 640 miles on, on mile repeats. So like, you know, they're surprised, they're shocked, your husband's surprised and shocked, and, you know, you don't know any better, but you know, secretly, you know, all of this stress that your body and your system has been dealing with on overload for, you know, almost 20 years of pain, discomfort, having to deal with it, manage it, suck it up. You know, it, it made you strong as fuck for lack of a better expression for <laughs> dealing with shit. And then just like cardio wise, once you started running, you know, 
it just like opened up for you. Um, and you connected with it. And when we love something, man, you know, you're just going to want to keep doing it. So there's not, you know, that's not a hard formula to figure out whether it's outside or on the treadmill or somebody's giving you workouts or anything else. So that's amazing. Like how quickly you took to it, um, and started to feel like, wow, this is like really, really cool. So when did you get around to like signing up for your first race? How long did that take? So I started running in August, 20. 2020 and then by the next summer I I I you know I signed up for my first 5k and again like I don't know anything I don't like I just don't know anything about racing and you know you hear all these things like don't go out too fast blah blah blah. I don't even know I'm like what is going out too fast I don't know I've never done this before like I to me I just I don't even at at this point I didn't even know paces like I I knew paces by looking at, at, at my watch now I go out for a run without a watch and I know what pace I'm running. Like then I didn't. So I signed up for my first 5k. It was a small 5k. Um, it was like nothing around then. So, uh, it was a local 5k and there was probably maybe like 500 people there, maybe 500 to a thousand. I don't know. So I show up, I, uh, I I got myself a pair of like fast sneakers, you know, people are talking. I, I started reading about saying, you know, you got to do all your, your research. And I show up and I ended up um, coming first uh, women uh, on the, in the 5k. And it was like such a small 5k. There was like no medal or anything. There was nothing. It was like, yeah, you won. Good. See you later. See you next year. Thanks for coming. <laughs> and then it was like very anticlimactic. And, and then my husband didn't even get to see me um, finish. Because he had to, um, oh no, wait, he did, he did, he did see me finish. Um, him and his, he, but he had to run right away because he had to work. And um, it was, it was so amazing. I obviously went out too fast. Like my first mile was 548. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, what? And then, and then I realized that it was the summer. It was like, it was June and it was 90 degrees already at like 9 a.m. And it was really, really, really humid. And I got um, an asthma attack because apparently that happens when you're like run too fast and like your body is used to it, but your lungs is like your body can't do it, but your lungs haven't yet cut up. So I, in the middle of the whole thing, I got, I got an, an asthma attack. So I'm like, tr- I was going and going and going and like my legs weren't moving, my arms weren't moving. Anyways, I ended up, I ended up like very happy with, with winning a a 5k first race ever it was like i was like wow i was i was on a high all day um and i'm like god i hate 5k i can't wait to do this again (laughs) first race ever wins winner winner chicken dinner yeah (laughs) like one one in a billion people go unless maybe when they're like eight years old or something and they run in like some town fair (laughs) race but a real 5k with other people there like that that pretty much almost never happens at 548 first mile yes yes my ex my ex-wife and i met through running and um she was a good high school runner and a good college runner but she literally would just take off in the 5k like you know psycho like a deer and yeah, you know, yeah. when I would see her at these races, I'm like, she'd be ahead of me for like the first mile. And I'd be like, who is this chick? She's crazy. She's like <laughs> taking off every single time in these races. And then I would catch her around the first mile and, you know, I'd run a couple minutes faster on a 5k, but she was either winning or coming in second or third. And I was like, you know, if you don't go out like 550 the first mile, maybe like 610, 
you're probably going to run a minute faster. She'd be like, you think so? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I really do. Like yeah. for real. And I ended up coaching her and of course marrying her. We had a kid together. Yeah. Um, we're divorced a long time ago, but we're super close friends. But it's so funny when you don't know what you're doing, just fuck it. Run. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. We yeah. have an expression, just fucking run, JFR. You know what? Like if people get way too caught up in all this other stuff, you know what? Turn your watch off or don't even wear a watch. Just run. When it's a race and they tell you you're going from here to there, you just go. You're not going to yeah. Where's what's my pace? No, you don't need yeah. to know any of that. Just go. Yeah. You know, and and uh so there you there you have it, man. What a first experience. And then from there, obviously, you're continued building up, running more miles. Yeah. And um from when, there, I Yeah, go ahead. Uh so from from there, it, it was funny because I a friend on Facebook on on Instagram who She's like, oh, well, now that you're running, you have to do a marathon. And I'm like, no, forget it. Like the marathon to me, I was like, I, I always hated running as a young kid, as a younger person too. And I always, I thought runners were crazy and I always made fun of runners. Like when my friends would run, I'd be like, hey, you're dumb. And then now I'm like, I may consider it a marathon. I don't think so. So the thought of running a marathon was crazy to me. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. But, um, but then um, she convinced me and then I signed up for Philly and then, Atlantic City, I mean, uh, New Jersey marathon, half marathon came and I was like, oh, let me sign up for that because I have marathon. I was like, oh, that I could do. But then I I ended up do, doing, yeah, so I did um, the marathon training and I used my Philly, I mean, my, um, the New Jersey marathon ended up being canceled. So they moved us to AC, Atlantic City. So they um, I ended up running that half marathon and I used it as a, as a training run for my marathon. And I, again, we're not too fast, like always, uh, because still, to even told my marathon, I didn't, you know, I can't pace myself the first few miles. And I ended up just, I love that. Like, I felt really good, even though I went up too fast during that, during that, I knew during that race, I was going to, I was going too fast. I just felt so good. And um, it was the perfect weather. It was flat. It was gorgeous. It was just nice. And I felt good all up until I think it was the last like mile where I got a little bit of like a cramp on my leg. And um, I, I ended up coming second in uh, women for, for, for um, Atlantic city. And that time I was in a podium on a podium, which was really exciting. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yes. Called up on the stage, get to get your medal get some photo yeah. opportunities. Now it's getting real. And if you came in second in Atlantic City Marathon, you had to have run a good time because there's no way you're coming in second unless you didn't run a good time. Yes, I did. Uh, six, I'm um, sorry, 127.05. That was my time for AC. 127.05. Like it's nothing. <laughs> 127.05. That is seriously moving, man. That's like, cr that's cranking, man. Let me tell you. 127.05 is probably 625, 622 pace, maybe 620, something like that. I, I'm not good with numbers, so I can't tell you exactly. I'm the worst with numbers. That's why <laughs> I'm having a hard time with track right now. <laughs> because I'm, numbers come in and out of my head. So I don't know exactly what my pace was, but I know I finished at 127.05. And in the, the last mile, I, I always think of my, my husband. I'm like, he's going to be so proud of me. <laughs> Yeah. Because <laughs> it's my biggest, my biggest cheerleader. That's beautiful. I even won money for that. I won $300. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cash money, handing over to yeah. Doe, getting photos, yeah. getting on stage. This, this is starting to become fun. And then, of course, 
you ran your marathon, which was Philly, right? I did. I ran Philly and I was, um, I, 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 I again, went out too fast. Um, I felt good. Felt good. It was also, weather was amazing. Um, but at mile 13, I, which is one of the, the, the things I didn't take salt with me. Like I, I had good fuel. I drank water, but I didn't like, I didn't know that you're supposed to take salt tabs. And I'm a salty person. I eat salt with all of my foods. Like I eat too much salt. And I didn't like even think this is like, it was like a rookie mistake. And I got cramps on mile 13. And, um, I, and I ended up pulling something in one of my calves in one of my calves. And I just, every time I would, I would like land my foot. Like I just, I just, it was just, there was pain and discomfort. And I was like, all right, I have two choices here. I will never quit. I'm always going to finish. Like I am a huge fan of Goggins. I like to like, to you, I'm going to Goggins this shit and I'm going to, I don't care if I have to crawl out of here, I will finish it. So then I started, like, I went, my pace, my pace was six, like 650. That's what I wanted to, to maintain it. And I think that I could have done that. And then I was like, there's no way I could keep it up. So I started playing like 655, seven. And then like, I settled at like seven, 10, seven something. And I was like, this is the best I could do. And I ended up um, slowing down and I was able to make it. And um, I changed my gait. So my hips started to hurt. My hips still, I think I'm still healing from that because I, uh, then I started like kind of like heel, like heel striking and like it messed with my hip. Um, and I felt like shit those last three miles. <laughs> But I was like, this is awful. I'm never doing this again. I was the, the first 13 miles, like I said, they were heaven. The last 13 were not so much, but that's a marathon, right? You don't know what's going to happen. And I, I've like learned a lot, heard a lot of marathoners talk about it, like uh, elites and non-elites and people just do it for fun. Like you go with a plan and sometimes it doesn't work out. That's it. And I, I think I really like had that in my heart, in my head. I was like, all right, this plan didn't work out. I'm just going to finish the best that I can. And I did. I felt, I did. I felt strong. I felt good up until I got hurt. And, you know, like it, it messes with your head uh, when you hurt yourself and you can't give the what, what, you're, what you're giving. But I'm still finished at three hours and 12 minutes. And I, I'm very happy with the time. But I, I know I could do better, you know? I know you've probably been there before. You're like, man, I wish I didn't hurt myself, but you can't, there's nothing you can do, you know? It's life. Let me tell you something. 312 debut in the marathon is fucking killing it, okay? That's number one. <laughs> I don't care if nothing happened to you and you had a perfect day. It's still an amazing first time in the marathon because there's a big difference between running a 127 low half marathon. It's 13 miles. It's, it's double the distance. You're not used to that. Your body's not used to it. Fueling. You talked about salt. Um, <clears throat> you may not need salt tabs. You just might need a gel that has more sodium in it. You might need to drink like a pre-drink before the race starts that has more sodium in it or have something salty later. Salt tabs are fine. I know lots of people who take them and take them later in races um, because it'll keep them from cramping. But that's an amazing first performance, like amazing, like totally amazing. And then, of course, anytime Goggins is involved, it's always going to be something good. So, you know, yeah. we got to get our man Goggins involved. Goggins, Gogginsing shit is uh, is a great expression. So, yeah, that's what it takes, man. 312, 127, winning your first 5K. I'm pretty sure this running thing is working out pretty good for you so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really I, i'm really i'm really enjoying it i really i really i know that you're an ultra runner and uh right now i i, I 
toying with the idea because my next marathon, um, I almost signed up for New York, but I was like, no, 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 no. Let me just, I think I, I wanted for it to be Boston because I qualified for 2023 Boston. And then like I have, I got invited to do track with a local team um, of really fast master runner ladies. And um, this weekend, actually, we're going to the armory to do nationals. Um, and I'm going to be running the 3000 and doing the, uh, the relay, the 800 relay for by eight. And, um, so I really want to like spend this year, um, doing track with these ladies because I found this group, these ladies are way faster than me and it's inspiring to me and I'm learning so much. And, um, but like, I'm toying with the idea of like, I love that, like a 50 miler because like, you could just kind of, you don't have to go so fast and I love long distance. So what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll break, we'll break it down in two parts. So what, what club team are you talking about? Is it Jersey Shore Athletic or? No, um, it's called Bella in Motion. Oh, cool. I mean, look, any team that's going to be running at the Armory, I run for Central Park Track Club. That's my team. And we do workouts at the Armory and um, there's indoor masters meets all the time. I mean, indoor nationals is going on like this weekend. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a, uh, on Saturday. Yeah. It's going to be super. I, I, I run Friday. Saturday. Yeah. I've got a ton of friends who are racing, um, that are racing over the weekend. So I'm not, cause I'm doing the, you know, New York city half, which is on Sunday, but a lot of my friends and a lot of my master's friends are like world ranked, you know, in different age group events, mile two, you know, 3000 meters, 5,000 meters, you know, cross country, all different stuff. So everybody's got to find their niche and what they like best. Me, I just like um, ultra too. I mean, I've run 63 regular marathons. I don't even know how many half marathons, probably way into the hundreds. I don't keep track of those. Um, not that they don't count. It's just, I don't keep track of them. I mean, marathons are bigger, so you do pay attention to them. But ultra is just, um, it's just different. The community is so special. Um the aid stations, the people. Look, I'm a junk food eater anyway. So if you give me candy and like and tell me I can just have as much as I want, I'm already going to like you. So if I go by your aid station and there's like, you know, all kinds of candy around, <laughs> Swedish fish and, you know, gummies and chocolate, you know, not to mention like baked potatoes and like real food, you know, because you do need salt. Like you talked about, you need even more when you start to go to ultra 50 Ks, 31 miles, 50 miles, 100 K is 62, 100 miles. Like the longer you go, the more of this stuff you need. And it's interesting because it's only a couple of podcasts back. Stephanie Flippin was on. She's a pro runner for Hoka. She's also a foot and ankle surgeon. So she has a full-time career. It's not like she's just a pro ultra runner, but let me just tell you this. So you're learning about paces now. So 312 is a very, very fast half marathon. That's probably like 710, 711 pace per mile. Average out. That's what it comes out to for 312, um, to run a 312. So she's run 100 miles. Okay, on a day where the temperatures hit 92 or 93 degrees in 14 hours and four minutes, that comes out to 826 per mile for a hundred mile race. Now, mind you, you got to go to the bathroom. People are throwing up. Yeah. You can't get food uh -huh. down. I mean, it's you're running through the night with the with the lamps on. I mean, that's insanity. It's totally crazy. So, um, Ultra, when you're ready and you want to like check one out. I'll find one for you that's good. I mean, the JFK 50 is probably my favorite of all time because it's really the best of all worlds. It's 13, maybe 15 miles of on the Appalachian Trail, which is single track. So that you will feel like you're in the woods, you're on trails. 
it's awesome. And you really have to pay attention because it's single track and there's leaves and there can be rocks underneath and wood and all kinds of stuff that you can trip on. So you really have to pay attention to what you're doing, who's in front of you, like where you're going to land on the on your feet and where you're going. When you get off there, you kind of meander around a little bit through some aid stations and you get onto this towpath, which is like this along the Potomac River. It's It's like 20 Ooh. some odd miles. The last eight and a half are on the road. So if you figure it out, it's 13 and eight is 21. So it's like 28 miles. You run about 28 miles on this flat, gravelly, hard packed dirt towpath. And it's along the Potomac River. And the Potomac River is like right there, like right off to your left. You can see it. There's trees, the river, there's bridges, and there's eight stations everywhere. So that part is flat as a pancake. It's very hilly on the AT. And then the last eight miles on the roads are up and down rolling. But that's a great entry race for somebody who wants to get into ultra because it isn't that technical. Like it's just the f- making it out of the AT. Don't smash into a rock and break yourself or anything. And then get out onto that flat gravel path because, you know, you just run, man. It's it's like really awesome. So that could be a good one for you to keep in mind. And it's in the fall. It's like in November. It's after the New York City Marathon because I always do New York and then I go down there and do JFK like two weeks later. So I've always got a race on the calendar, man. There's always, there's always another race to do, you know? That's amazing. Like, I, I think that if I like, because I'm, you know, have still have kids that are, I, hopefully my body holds up since I started my, my running late in life. Hopefully my, my body holds up a little bit for when my kids, I got two teenage boys that will soon go to college and then I have more time for my running. Yeah. (laughs) And then that's, that's hopefully my body holds up and then I, I, I can do some I, I want to do like races all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Travel to them too. Yeah. The travel's fun and it's super exciting. You get a chance to run Boston. So I'm getting ready to go up there in 38 days or 37 days or whatever. It's my 10th Boston. So you'll, um, you'll love it, man. There's nothing, there's nothing quite like Boston. Well, New York is my favorite marathon because come on, it's New York city energy. How can you not love New York city over everything else? But Boston is just different. It's intimate. The road's narrow. Like the people have been sitting out in those lawns for generations. Like, you know, I've seen these people get older. Like I've gotten older. I started running there in my mid thirties. You know, I ran, I ran there in the 99th and the hundredth Boston and it's now the 126. So think about how long, you know, a period of time that is. So, and hopefully your kids are going to want to run with you at some point and do some races with you. That would be cool. Oh my God. I hope so. My son actually, I inspired him to join cross country last year. So he did that. Now we go. Track. Track season's coming up next in two weeks. So like that's, I'm like, all right, why? Come on, let's go. He's, he, he told me he wants to go to the track next time I go. So I, you know, may, I, I put the little, you know, the little bug is in him young. So hopefully he'll, you know, he'll have the opportunity that I didn't have and start young, you know? And, uh, you know, also by talking about Boston, I was so bummed when I realized, actually it was right before I ran Philly that I, I realized that if I qualify for Boston it would have to be for 2023 because we just missed like the window by like three days. And I was so bummed because I really wanted to go to this one, but whatever it is, what it is. It gives me this whole year to work on track with my ladies from Bella and motion and, you know, see a different side of, of running, but a uh, good luck to you this, you know, this next coming Boston. And one of the reasons that I didn't sign up for New York, um, this year was because I really want to do New York with like a group of like fun people and just like not race it, just have fun. And I don't have that yet. I don't have anybody who wants to run marathons with me. 
<laughs> so I want to wait until I have like a group of people that I could just, you know, just have fun during New York with because everybody keeps telling me like, you just have to enjoy. It. It's so much fun. You could truly run New York as like a party. I mean, you could still like you ran 312, but I mean, you could run even 320 and still have a blast and not kill yourself. It would be, it wouldn't be cakewalk, but it wouldn't be like, you'd be like dying across the line and you, you would have the time of your life. I could tell you that for sure. So if you decide you really want to run it, the application period's closed already, but I, I probably could find a way to work you in there somehow. So I got a lot of connections. So, um, thank you before we roll out. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing. You've been through so much stuff and, um, particularly, you know, with your blogging and opening up and connecting with all other people and really helping them through these like difficult periods. And, you know, I know people will listen to this show and realize like, wow, I could reach out to her. She could give me some perspective. She could help me, um, with whatever sort of health issues they're having or surgical issues or, um, struggles that they're kind of going through. Um, so other than that in community service, cause that is a huge community service thing that you've done and are kind of still doing today. Is there anything else like that is important to you in that area that you'd like to focus on other than kind of just sharing your journey and trying to help other people as they make their way through this kind of situation that you've been through with your cancer? Um, locally, I love, as a, so I still teach yoga. Um, I'm a yoga teacher. That's what I do for a living. Um, there's always this, the, the local people that some, sometimes people that can't afford yoga, right? Yoga is expensive, right? It's, it should be free. It's supposed to be free. It's a meditation. I, if you come to me in your local, or now even with Zoom, right? Because we have like the pandemic opened up this beautiful thing that is Zoom that I get to sit here with you and do this interview. And I want to, and this goes for anybody that, you know, says to me, I really would like a yoga class from you, but I can't afford it. Like, yes, my husband and I would love to help people that way locally. And like I said, now he just had a class with somebody from Hungary the other day. And I was like, this is so cool. And like, he just did a free class with somebody hungry. So that's, I feel like it's one of my favorite things to do is do for, you know, give, you know, you, you know, I, I'm not rich. I can't like, give money or none of us, none of us are like most people don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to give your money. You're not, you could give somebody a smile. Okay. That alone, that will help somebody, right? I can give somebody a listen in yoga, a listen in breathing, a listen in meditation, because that's how I give back. And that's how I choose to give back to whoever reaches out to me. Right. It's how I make my living, but it's also how I contribute. That's wonderful. And, and that's why I always end the segments here, because um, it not only is gives the guests the chance to talk about something they're doing, but also everybody listening at home will think about these many different ways that uh, we try to help people in our own communities, whether it's via Zoom or it's at a local charity or just something, you know, in your case, like cancer related too as well, like on the health side and connecting with people on Instagram and with your blog and stuff like that. Um, if the most important thing is to just get people thinking about others and others, what you can exactly. do for others because anytime you mentioned it before there's anytime we're thinking about helping others and doing something for others we're always going to be the best version of ourselves um and we're going to help somebody and they're going to want to help somebody and the next person it just kind of goes down the line and it's it's just a way to pay things pay things forward so i appreciate you sharing all of that and it was like super fun getting to know you and talk to you and i can't wait to see uh 
and watch your running from here and just see where you go next and see what some races, hopefully, because I can't wait to see uh, what kind of times you're going to throw down. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me in. Uh, I'm excited to see what I have in me, you know, uh, this is all new to me and I'm having a really, really good time in the process. Again, thank you for having me and letting me share my story. And I hope that any part of the whole story or a piece of my story uh, resonates with somebody and helps somebody and just, you know, know that if you're suffering with whatever pain, with whatever discomfort, with whatever surgery, you're not alone. We're, there's always people here. There are always people in the world um, going through it, share it. And if you don't feel like share it and you want to reach out to me and you want to talk about it, find me. I'm always here to listen. I appreciate that. I have no doubt some people will listen and, and hopefully they'll take you up on it and you guys will connect and um, help many other people, you know, as they're going through, through their difficult times and uh, facing like things that are scary and unknown. So as we say at the end of every episode, we tell everybody to keep lacing them up Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. Wow. Inspiring, amazing, mind-blowing, strong. My gosh, you could run out of adjectives. Trying to describe Yulati Saludi's journey in life. 10 years of her life going through 27 surgeries, culminating with getting breast cancer. Um, truly remarkable journey, uh, exhaustive journey, physically, mentally, emotionally, not only for her, but for her family, for her husband, for her children. And um, they leaned on each other in the most difficult of times. And she opened up her breast cancer journey and just started blogging about it, sharing all the experiences, the highs, the lows, the pain, the suffering, the concern she was feeling. And she just built this powerful community and one that she still relies upon today. Um, and you could hear the sadness in her voice talking about the ones who aren't there anymore, the ones who really had an impact on her. And she uh, said that she'll carry them in her heart forever. So I think that's something that's uh, unique about anyone that goes through any cancer journey, whether it's breast cancer for women or any other type of journey, I think they're bonded forever by the experience of uh, getting a second chance, or in some cases, some people getting a third or a fourth or a fifth. So there's just so much inspo in this one. Um, just so grateful to have been a part of this conversation and to get to know you, Lottie, and, uh, you know, make a new powerful connection with her and uh, just look forward to following her journey from here, seeing, uh, seeing her progress as a runner where she's doing amazing things and also really helping out so many others in the community, not only with her running, but with her yoga and just reaching out to women that are going through uh, these experiences, shared experiences. The power of community is what resonates in the end. So, I hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did, and you'll continue to do great things, sharing in your own individual communities that really help us continue building out uh, the Run Chance podcast and get new listeners coming into the show. Um, Yulati was a new listener um, listening to Aaron's podcast just a few weeks ago. They were uh, teammates, if you will, uh, as part of Beck's Beast doing Beck's Gentry's Peloton class. So her listening 
to Aaron's podcast, uh, connected the two of us and got her onto the show. So it's amazing how that power of community can work in our favor. If we keep sharing and we keep uh, doing positive things, it all kind of comes around in the end. So thank you all um, for listening to the shows, for sharing, um, for being part of this experience with all of us. Um, we're continuing to grow and try to build this thing out further. And I'm just so happy um, to have you all be a part of it with us. So God bless you all. Keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay out the fight. Stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. Talk to you soon.